Before we hop into uh, this morning's message, I have a couple things to bring to your attention. First is this, is that our drummer Ron is back and uh, he's recovering from heart surgery. And uh, great to see you, bro. And uh, continue to hope that the recovery is going well. All right, so it's good to see you there. And then I want to say, uh, as, well, as I was gone, I want to say thank you to Dane and to, and to Rob and to Adam for filling in and, uh, and preaching messages that were, that were timely, that were spot on. And, uh, and I so appreciate the ministry that you three men had uh, while I was gone. So thank you so, so very much. All right. So before I left for Israel, we were in this series called The Sensational God. And we were nearing the end of it because we had talked about four of the senses. And uh, that was the part of, of, of what this Sensational God series was all about, was taking a look at these different, uh, different senses, the way God has used them to, to help us. And it started by this when we talked about Psalm 34, tasting and seeing that God is good. We looked at that psalm and talked about what it means to taste something. It's one thing to see the meal. It's a whole other thing to taste the meal. When you taste the meal, there's interaction going on. And in David's life in Psalm 34, things didn't look very good for him. But he was able to say, I'm going to taste and see that God is good. We moved from that to talking about hearing. We looked at this passage in Isaiah chapter 30 where, where Isaiah is in this place and and God's people are wondering what they should do, where they should go, how they should go about getting there. And in the midst of it, in the midst of Isaiah 30, we read these words, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. In the midst of the cacophony of noise that is in our lives every single day, it's imperative that we hear God's voice that we hear God's voice pierce through that cacophony and remind us of how we are to live. And we talked about taking time in our lives every single day to hear from him. So tasting and hearing led us probably to what I believe the most underappreciated sense of all, and that is smell. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 informs us that Christ's followers are the aroma of Jesus Christ, spreading the knowledge of Jesus Christ to those around them. We talked about our actions and how our actions are to bring about that smell, that aroma of Christ. And unfortunately, there are times in our lives when our actions stink, stink badly, and they don't promote the aroma of Christ. And so we talked about that. And then uh, right before I left for Israel with this great group of folks, and you'll hear about uh, that experience next week, uh, we looked at this sense of touch. We looked at the sense of touch that involved an encounter between Jesus Christ and this woman who had been suffering with, with an illness for 12 years. So much so that nobody wanted anything to do with her. So much so that when she went out into public, which was very rare, she had to scream, unclean, unclean. And we had that encounter in, in Luke's gospel where she reached out and touched the hem of his garment. And upon touching the hem of his garment, she was instantly healed. And so we'll talk, about, we'll talk a little bit about that encounter because one, on, our, on our trip to Israel, we stopped in this town called Magdala, which uh, and there was a church there that, that celebrates Jesus' encounters that he had in healing different women's lives. And it was really a powerful thing, and you'll hear about that next week. 
So now we come to the fifth sense, and, and this morning we conclude this series by looking at this fifth sense, and it's the one sense, and this is simply my opinion on this, I don't have any scientific research to back it up, but I think it's the one sense that people cherish the most, and that is sight. It is sight, and there's something going on when, when, we, when we're able to see things clearly. And just a few facts to go over right now as we talk about this. Your eyes focus on 50 different objects every second. 50 different objects every second. The only organ in your body more complex than your eye is your brain. Your eyes can detect, and this, I I don't fully understand this. I'm tempted to actually go out and see if this is true or not. But your eyes can detect a candle flame 1.7 miles away. 1.7 miles away. Now, here's the problem living where we live. A candle's not going to stay lit because it's windy all the time here. It drives me crazy. Anyway, back to this. The average person, the average person blinks 12 times a minute. Now, some of you right now are going to tune me out for the next minute and count how many times you blink. I realize that. It adds up to this. You will blink 4.2 million times in this year. And lastly is this, and I found this one pretty, pretty amazing. Your eyes remain the same size throughout your entire life. Had no clue on that one. Sight is precious. Seeing something that you've never seen before makes you wonder if what you are seeing is really for real. There was a group of people, and we're going to take a look at this encounter they had. There was a group of people who had that very experience about 2,000 years ago. They struggled to believe what they were seeing, and frankly, if you and I were with them that day, we would have struggled as well. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. And if, uh, if you don't have a Bible and you have the Bible app on your phone, get there on your phone. And if, and if you'd like to use uh, the Bible that's in the rack in front of you, it's on page 885. And if you need a Bible and you want to take that Bible, feel free. Take it. We'll get more. We want God's Word out in people's lives, and so, so it would be a good thing. So, so in Luke chapter 24, we start at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were terrified and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. And see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still not, did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And then he told them this, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and will rise from the dead on the third day. 
And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of looking at your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would open our minds that we can understand more clearly who you are and what you desire to do in and through our lives. We would ask that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes so that we can see you more clearly that you would open our ears so that we can hear you more clearly and understand more fully who you are, and that you would then open our hearts so that people could see your grace in action in our lives. For Lord, it's our desire to be a people that pleases you, and we pray that that would happen. And now, Lord Jesus, I pray that no one would hear anything I say, but only what it is that you want them to hear and need them to hear, and that you, Lord Jesus, would receive all glory. It's in your name I pray. Amen. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. To say that they are swimming, to say that the apostles are swimming in uncharted territory would be a massive understatement at this time. They had had seen Jesus feed thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and a a couple fish. They had seen Jesus calm a storm. They had seen Jesus walk on water. They had seen Jesus give sight to the blind. They had seen Jesus call up to Zacchaeus, who who was in a sycamore tree, and said, come down, Zacchaeus, I want to eat with you. They had seen Jesus drive out demons from this woman called Mary. They had seen Jesus confront the religious authorities of their day. They had seen Jesus betrayed by one of their own. They had seen Jesus beaten by the Roman guards. They had seen Jesus crucified. And now, and now, some of them, while they were walking to this town called Emmaus, ended up walking with Jesus. The apostles are in an uncharted territory. They don't know what's going on. And we're told that they are scared. We're told that they are, that they are startled and frightened. That's what it says to us in verse 37. And here's what ends, ends up happening. It's almost as if Jesus comes in in a way. It almost isn't as if. It is. He comes in and he interrupts their lives. He interrupts their lives. And I'm tempted right now to ask for a show of hands of of how many of us have have had experiences this week where we've been anxious about something or fearful about something or doubting something, but I know what would happen. Almost every single hand in this room would go up. And for those that didn't raise their hand, either they slept the entire week or they're not telling the truth. We have all of these things going on in our lives. We have these anxieties. We, have, we don't know what's going on. And yet Jesus wants to interrupt our lives with his presence. He wants to interrupt our lives. It's real easy for us. It's real easy for us to keep being consumed by our anxieties, our fears, our doubts. I understand it. I struggle with that stuff. But yet, in the midst of it, Jesus Christ 
simply shows up. Look closely at this text. Not a one of the people in that room said, hey, we're going through some struggles right now. Why don't we pray about this? Why don't we turn to the Lord who, who we saw do all these great things, who we saw calm all these storms. Why don't we turn to him for a moment? Not a single one of them invited him. Jesus Christ shows up and joins them. He just shows up. He interrupts their lives. I would venture to say this, that there are people in this room right now who need to have their lives interrupted by Jesus Christ. I would venture to say right now that, that, that we have these issues that are happening in our lives where we don't know what to do. We don't know whether to go left or right, and yet we need to not only hear him say these things, but we need him to interrupt our lives. Jesus Christ is unafraid to reach into our anxieties and fears. He's unafraid. He's unafraid, and notice the very first words that he says. Peace be with you. He brings a message of peace. He brings a message of shalom. He brings a message that says, I want to make things well with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So I ask you this morning, what anxieties and fears and doubts do you have? The apostles are in uncharted territory. This very one that they saw crucified is now in their presence. He's interrupted their lives. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to let Jesus interrupt your life to let Jesus interrupt that life and say to you peace be with you father we pray right now that in the midst of this time that the peace that surpasses all understanding would invade our anxieties, our fears, our doubts. That you would bring peace to people in this room who are in over their heads. They're swimming in uncharted territory, just like you brought peace to the apostles who were in over their heads swimming in an uncharted territory. I pray that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would bring peace, that you would bring your presence in a powerful way in all of our lives, that we would know that you're there and that you would calm our fears, our anxieties, our doubts, our questions, and that you, Lord Jesus, would continue walking us through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 40, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. 
And while they still did not believe, they still did not believe it, by the way. It's fascinating. He's right there in their presence. But it says this, they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. The apostles are right there. They, they see Jesus Christ and then he displays his hands and feet to them and you can almost hear the apostles say this, would you look at that? Those are his hands. Those are his feet. Would you look at that? He's right there. And so as Jesus stays in their midst, they can't help but observe what's going on. They're amazed by this. They're overwhelmed with this. And here's part of what's so overwhelming about it is this, and it's an important fact that I think we need to talk about just for a few moments. And it's an important fact about crucifixion. And it's this. 100% of people who are crucified die. There isn't any motivation on the Romans' part to say, let's mostly crucify this person so they can share crucifixion stories later on. The Romans, when they crucified, they wanted you dead. They wanted you to experience more pain than you'd ever experienced in your life. And they wanted to make sure you died. So we sit there and, we, and we're tempted to look at this encounter and just say, well, if I was there, I'd believe it. Really? Really? We would all be shocked by what we're seeing. It is, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and we treat it as if it's like, oh, it happens all the time. This was life-altering. This, what they're seeing before their eyes, is something that they had never seen before. They did not anticipate seeing it before. And one of the things I love about what Luke does here is this little subtle change he does. In verse 37, it says this, they were startled and frightened. And notice what happens in verse 41. They move from being startled and frightened to being joyful and amazed. That's what happens when Jesus Christ's presence dwells in our lives. That's what happens when we allow him in, when we allow him to interrupt our lives, we get to experience joy and amazement. Yes, we may very well not be able to understand it fully and fully come to understand that he's there and he's walking us through it and we can't figure out all the, all the different intricacies about it, but he's there in the midst of it. He changes people's lives. That's what he does. That's what he does. And as this scene continues unfolding, Jesus does something else which, which causes them to rub their eyes because they're still not sure of what's going on. And it's this. Look what he says here. He says, do you have anything here to eat? He's hungry for some reason. They saw Jesus Christ crucified and died, and now he asked them for something to eat. Luke, why, why is this so important that you tell us 
that he ate something. Luke is very creative, just like the other gospel writers are creative, in addressing different issues that were, that were confronting Christ followers at the time when they're writing their, their gospels. By the time Luke writes his gospels, which is, with, which is within a few decades of Jesus Christ dying and, and rising from the dead and then ascending into heaven, within a, few, within a few decades of this, there's already some false teaching going on that Jesus Christ really didn't rise from the dead. That the apostles were overwhelmed with grief, that they got together in this room and they were sharing how grieving they were, and in the midst of their grief, they were so overwhelmed by it that they hallucinated and that this ghost appears to them. And people would believe that, and people would believe that Jesus Christ really didn't come back from the dead. The apostles simply saw a ghost. Look what Luke says here. First off, he says, look and see. You can see my hands and my feet. Notice he says, and look at the, look at the terminology here. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And then he asks for a piece of fish. Ghosts don't eat. Luke creatively is saying, listen, he physically was there. Jesus Christ was not a ghost. Jesus Christ is really there. Luke is addressing and confirming and, and confronts this false teaching that Jesus Christ really isn't alive, that it's just a ghost. That the apostles came up with this whole idea on their own. So he eats this fish in front of them. Jesus Christ, they're seeing Jesus Christ physically is there. But Jesus Christ is not done. We pick it up in verse 44. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Jesus Christ wants them to see the connection. He wants them to see this connection that's been growing since Genesis and, and now is being fulfilled in his life. All the dots connect through Jesus Christ. All the dots. There are dots all throughout Scripture that point to Jesus Christ. The apostles had heard about the Exodus. The apostles had heard the stories about this great King David who happened to write a bunch of Psalms that pointed to a Messiah coming. They'd heard stories about all these judges who God raised up to rescue his people. They heard stories about messages from the prophets where the prophets were proclaiming, ladies and gentlemen, get your life in order. Follow after the living God. And these prophets prophesied about a Messiah coming who would rescue humanity and usher in a new kingdom that was not of this world. Jesus Christ points to that. He says the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, all of these dots throughout the Old Testament were right there for everybody to see. But no one connected the dots. And Jesus says, all those dots connect to me. The entire Bible, hear me on this, the entire Bible revolves around one 
person and his name is Jesus Christ. And he happens to be standing in their presence at that very moment. All the dots in the Old Testament point to Jesus Christ. Yes, even in the book of Leviticus, it points to Jesus Christ. I don't know how, but it does. But everything points to Jesus Christ. There is no doubt. Jesus Christ says it right here. That all of the prophets, all of the Psalms, all of the law of Moses point to me. There are some people that want to say we really don't need the Old Testament anymore because Jesus Christ has fulfilled everything. My response to this is it's foolish to think that. We don't throw away the Old Testament because Jesus Christ is here. We read the Old Testament realizing how much greater Jesus Christ is in fulfilling everything that the Old Testament says about him. We cherish the Old Testament because it points us to a Savior that's going to enter into the world and rescue us from ourselves. We cherish the Old Testament not because of all the neat little stories about Jonah and a whale and David and Goliath. We cherish the Old Testament because it points to our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who rescues us. We dare not throw away the Old Testament because Jesus Christ came on the scene. We cherish the Old Testament and we look at the Old Testament and say, thank you, God, for Jesus Christ and for having this all arranged a long time ago. He then says this. Look at verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. They can now see the Scriptures. They can now see what's going on. They've seen Jesus Christ. Now they can understand the message that needs to be told. And he says this to them in verse 46. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. In essence, what he's saying is, as a witness, you've seen these things. You've witnessed what I've done. And now you get to share that story with everybody you meet. With everybody you meet. You get to share that story. You get to live out this life. People now get to see the work that I've done in your life. And he says, yet I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He says, you need to stick around here for a little while. There's something that's going to happen in a few days, in a few moments, where you're going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when that happens... Nothing will stay the same. And when the Holy Spirit descended upon the Christ followers in that upper room, everything changed. Lives were healed. 
widows and orphans who had been cast aside by society and said, we don't want you around, you're, you're icky, we don't want to have anything to do with you. All of a sudden, Christ followers said, no, we love you, we're going to care for you. That's how our God responds, our God takes care of people. The sick who were left on the side of the road, the sick who were, who, were, who were just simply cast aside, all of a sudden, Christ followers came in and said, we are going to come alongside you. We are going to care for you. We are going to represent God to you and his incredible grace to you. People who had no voice, people who had been oppressed for all their lives now had a voice because Jesus Christ was working in the midst of these people and they were saying, there is a God who loves you. There is a God who cares. There is a God who wants to walk with you through life. You no longer have to be in bondage. You can be set free and we're here to show you how to do that. In a matter of a couple of centuries, of movement that started at this moment took over the world. The Roman Empire, the most powerful empire of the time, could not contain the movement of Jesus Christ and his people. Because people were seeing his work in and through their lives. Jesus Christ invites them to be a witness, and notice what he says. It begins at Jerusalem. Everybody wants to think that it ends at Jerusalem. That's what everybody was thinking. Everybody's going to come to Jerusalem, but Jesus Christ is taking that and flipping it on its head and saying, it starts in Jerusalem, baby. We're moving out. I don't know if he said baby or not. Maybe it is in the, in the Greek. But he says, we're moving out from here. This, this message is not staying here. This message is moving out. The message of Jesus Christ that many of us in this room have received and placed our trust in is not simply to stay here. It is to go out. We continue praying that God will take this mission of this church and use it for, the glory of his, God, for his glory outside these walls in your neighborhoods, at your jobs, with your families. It doesn't stay here. It needs to get out. And that's what Jesus Christ is saying. Let people see me at work in your life. Be a witness. Be a witness so people can see the work of Jesus in your life. Be that witness. Let people see your life in such a way that they can't help but say, what happened? And I need to know what happened in that person's life because I see something different. Jesus Christ invites you this morning, invites you this morning to participate in a movement that has been changing people's lives for 2,000 years. He invites you this morning to let him be seen in your life and through your life so that this world that is heading in a horrific direction can be rescued so that your friends, your family members can say, I need him in my life. And watch what happens. Watch what happens 
when Jesus Christ is seen in and through your life. Nothing will stay the same. Father, we pray now. As we contemplate these words, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would move in such a way that you would open our lives up in such a way that, we, that people would see you in us. Father, have mercy on us for the times that, we, that we've prevented people from seeing you. Have mercy on us for those times when we think that our lives don't matter. And we fill our lives with apathy and ambivalence. Have mercy on us. For forgetting countless times that you've empowered us to go and make a difference in this world. Father, it's my prayer that FBC Salinas would be a community of Christ followers where people see you at work each and every moment in each and every individual in this community of faith. Father, I pray that you would use us in our families, use us in our workplaces, use us in our neighborhoods, use us with our sports teams that that we're coaching or volunteering with. Use us in such a way where people can see Jesus Christ in and through our lives and in the process that your kingdom would continue to expand. Father, I thank you for the work that you did in Jesus Christ and how you rescued humanity. And I pray, Lord, that that message of your great grace would continue to go forth and that people would see your grace in action in each and every one of our lives. And for those in this room that do not know you, I ask that your Holy Spirit would pierce their hearts and that they would realize that the forgiveness that is offered by Jesus Christ can be theirs right now and that their life can be seen as one that points people to you, Lord Jesus. May that happen. May you continue doing great work. And we thank you. We thank you that you really rose from the dead, never to die again. And that you live today and that you were on the move today in so many ways. May we not forget that. And may we we live lives that are seen for your glory and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I invite you now to stand as uh, Heidi and Tony and Sherry come up to sing a couple more songs. And and the last song that we're singing, I'm just gonna tell you this right now. If you don't sing out, that's gonna be a bummer. Let it rip. That's all I'm going to tell you right now. So let's stand and sing this about this great Lord.